0: Turn to Jonah. We're going to read the last verse, Jonah 2.10, but and then all of chapter 3. So beginning in Jonah 2:10, 10, it says, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee so Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey and Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown so the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them for word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. For who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. And Father, I just pray today that you'll just help me to deliver this word in a way that's pleasing to you and that will help everyone that's listening. And I just ask that you'll prepare all our hearts to receive it, and you'll open our eyes, Lord, to see. What true repentance and your mercy will bring. And I thank you that you'll do that today in Jesus' name. So, we saw last week uh, that Jonah, in our last chapter two, he was a man that had hit rock bottom. That's what we said. So, the sailors that were with him in desperation, they're in that terrible storm. So, Jonah had given them a word, and I believe it was a prophetic word from the Lord. He says, You throw me in, and the sea will be calm. So, in obedience to that, they hurled Jonah into the middle of the sea and Jonah probably struggled for a while we got that out of verse three in chapter two but it says that those great billows and waves overcame him and I believe then he began to just sink like lead to the bottom of the sea he's heading towards rock bottom and he talks in there in his prayer that he prayed out of the belly of the fish that he was overwhelmed by those waters he said even to the depths of his soul And what was happening at that point, Jonah came face to face with death because it seemed like his doom was certain. And he says, when I almost fainted, when his life was almost gone, he uttered his first prayer in our story. It says he remembered the Lord right before he's going to die. And it says he cried out to him for mercy. He said, out of the depths of Sheol, I cried. And the disobedient prophet that had come face-to-face with death now came face-to-face with the amazing grace of God. Because it goes on to say, Out of the depths of Sheol I cried, and Jonah adds, And you heard my voice, is what he said. So suddenly, he could breathe. (laughs) He thought it was all over, and he finds himself in the belly of a great fish. Now, like we said, he is not complaining about his living quarters. You know, he's not saying, you know, I'd really rather be in the Star of David hotel. Uh, he's, he's happy to be there. In fact, he says in his prayer, I'm sacrificing to the Lord with a voice of thanksgiving. He's like, I'm praise God that I'm alive, that I'm here. He's he's happy to be where he's at. So the one who had run away from the Lord in disobedience met the Lord in the sea as his judge he realizes you don't mess with God. He's holy and righteous and the judge. But in the belly of the fish, he experiences him as his savior. So he fully understood at this point both sides of God's character. By experience, he knows God is a judge and God is also a loving savior. And that's not knowledge that can be taken away. And those of us that have experienced that, it should be all of us in here that are Christians. That can't be taken away from you. There comes a point. That's what brings you to salvation. You realize, hey, my doom is certain, living in disobedience. God is my judge, has every right to judge me. And yet you cry out to him, and then next thing you know, you can breathe. He's given you life, like he did with Jonah. And so this chapter we're going to look at today, chapter three, is about repentance. It's about the repentance of Jonah, the repentance of Nineveh and the repentance of God don't know we're going to get to the last part repentance of God we'll cover that next time and when we deal with chapter 4 finish up Jonah but first I want to look at the repentance of Jonah and when you look in chapter 2 verse 10 it says and the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land now, you don't see this in your translations because it has nothing to do with any of the words. But if you're reading the Hebrew manuscripts, I'm not getting all technical on here. Just. But there's a single letter at the end of that sentence when it says, Jonah upon the dry land. There's a single letter, pay. And the significance is that is it told the scribes something. They put a break in between chapter 2 and chapter 3. So if you're someone reading that, you know that this story has come to an abrupt stop. It's kind of like if you're watching a movie and, you you know, they get to the end of a scene and everything kind of goes dark and kind of fades out and stays that way for a second. And next thing you know, you're back on a new scene and a new location and a new place. And I think that's what's taken place. You know, they put that pay there to let you know we're starting anew. Now, you're not going to get that in your translations because then it's starting again in verse one of chapter three. And here we are with a new scene. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the... Second time saying. So, what's the big deal about that? Why did I even bring that up? It's because Jonah is given a second chance to fulfill the prophet's role. And I don't think it happened. A lot of commentaries will tell you that Jonah spit out on the ground and he just gets up and starts walking. It comes to him a second time and he's just leaving from there heading straight to Nineveh. I don't believe it. Personally, I don't believe it happened that way. You know, I think I can't prove it from the Bible, but I think Jonah went home. I think he got cleaned up and began to seek the Lord as he did before his disobedient voyage started, is what I think happened. I think he probably got back, probably shared his experience with others. Hey, God really dealt with me in a severe way and changed me and and did it through all these miraculous events. Woke me up of my sleep, my spiritual sleep, and brought me back to him and my disobedience. And I'll tell you why I believe that happened at the same place that he received it the first time, the same place and the same call because that happened in the life of another famous person in the Bible that was given a second chance, Peter. So if you remember in our study in Mark, Peter's first call from the Lord came when? He's out in his boat. Jesus is on the shore. Right? (laughs) Actually, he was on the shore too. And he calls him and he says, follow me. To Peter and I will make you a fisher of men and then we all know the account it is crucifixion it is trial Peter shamefully denies the Lord weeping bitter tears and then we know in John 21 he probably figured the Lord had given up on him and he's out there he's back to doing what he's back to fishing and you know where he's back to he's back to the shores of Galilee and here appears Jesus appears to him on the second time same place and you know what if you read john twenty one after we go through all the threes peter do you love me peter do you love me you know what he says to him then follow me he gets the same call the same commission except now he's even given more responsibility feed my sheep i need you to pastor my flock So god hadn't given up on him and i think it's the same way with jonah same place same call God's restoring grace. And you think about it, with both of these men, God would have been extremely gracious if he'd just forgiven Jonah, got him back up on the shore, let him go back to Israel into his place. He lived near Nazareth, just north of Nazareth, and just minded his own business, got gone back to whatever he did before he was ever called to be a prophet. God had been gracious to do that. And he could have been the same with Peter. Just let Peter go back to going a fishing. He's forgiven and restored. But no, that's not the way he is. With both men, God restored them to their ministries. And that's what he does. How many times, we think about it, have we failed the Lord? Failed to do what we knew was right, and God gave us a second chance. And we should be thankful for that. But he doesn't just stop with second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Sometimes it is way more than that, right? And we can't presume, I would say, we can't presume a Upon God's goodness and forgiveness, can we? You can't say, you know, I think I'm going to do this act. I know it's wrong. I'm going to do it anyways because God is a God of second chances. You know, make a song out of it. Well, hey, you may just find out that God is also a God of sovereign justice. And he may have to make an example out of you, like Ananias and Sapphira. That's what he did with them. They didn't get a second chance. And I put a fear in the church. He's going to get our respect. And so. We can't just assume that we're going to sin and God's going to forgive us. But if you've messed up and sinned grievously and truly repented, God will not only forgive you with what we're seeing here, He will restore you. He'll give you a second chance at the same place. At home. You messed up at home. Did something, said something you shouldn't have. God will give you another chance. That's not the end of it. At home. At work at church with a relative whatever so you give in to fear and you don't share the gospel with somebody you're around and you know god was prompting you to do that the door was open and you could have done it and you gave in to fear right don't give up that's what peter did he gave in to fear when he shouldn't have and we know the bible says if you deny me before men i'll deny you before my father but hey that's not the end of the story is it If you sincerely repent, like Peter, like Jonah, he'll give us another chance. You can receive the forgiveness of God and look for that second opportunity. And God will bless it. He blessed Peter with what he did. Went from denying the Lord to man, you read Acts chapter 2. It's like I'd have loved to been there and hear that sermon. Wasn't denying the Lord then, was he? Or maybe you're here today, I don't know, and you're in a backslidden condition. You just, you know, you're putting on a good show at church. Smiling, praise the Lord, everything's fine. But you know in your heart everything's not right. And it's been that way for a while. And you think, well, God received me back. He, he knows how I've been. Or maybe you got secret sin you're committing that you know you shouldn't be. Well, we're in Jonah. Put something there if you turn back to Obadiah, Amos, Joel, and go to Hosea, just a few books back. I'd like us to see this in Hosea fourteen. And let this be an encouragement to any of us that aren't spiritually where we know we should be at. Talking about repentance. God says, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. And look what he says in verse 2. Hosea fourteen two Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us, as we will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in thee the fatherless find mercy. And God says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree for me is thy fruit found and look what he says in verse nine who is wise and he shall understand these things prudent and he shall know them for the ways of the lord are right and the just shall walk in them but the transgressors shall fall therein that's an encouragement to anyone that's not doing well spiritually maybe it's not any big deal but you just like i'd like to get things right with the lord and what does he say He says, come back to me return to me bring words he says just confess your sin. Take away my sin, God, and plead with him. Receive me graciously is the prayer you would have. And what does God say he will do? I love these words. He says, I will love you freely. I'm not going to make you a second-class citizen. He says, I love you freely and restore you completely. And I like what he says there at the end. He says, the wise man or woman will understand these things. They'll understand that if you leave sin behind and return unto the Lord, that He will be gracious and restore you. That's what all those words about all the oil and the planting I mean, He's just saying, I'll bring you back. You'll be fruitful. I'll bring you back. I'm not going to cast you away. And so, the word we get here, what we see with Jonah in these first few verses, is repentance brings restoration. His repentance took place in chapter two, but we're seeing the restoration here and we know that his repentance was deep and it was sincere and we see that by his actions so when the same command came to him the second time arise go into that great city Nineveh and preach unto it instead of reading like we did twice in chapter 1 that Jonah fled he gets that word what's his reaction it says he fled and didn't just say he fled he fled from God's presence it tells us that twice but here when that word comes to him this is how we can see his repentance is sincere. Jonah arose and instead of reading that he fled it says he went unto Nineveh. He's eager now to obey the Lord after being restored to his favor. And so when you repent and experience God's loving forgiveness when that truly happens I think you'll be zealous to obey the Lord to show your thankfulness to him. That's the way that would work. So Jonah also, though, he knew, not only was he thankful in his obedience, he also knew that God was someone to be feared, that God is sovereign. We've said this already. He's sovereign in pardoning sin. And here's a good verse to remember. Psalm 130 says this, verses 3 and 4, If you, O Lord, would mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? In other words, if he's going to count all our sins against us, none of us have any hope at all. But to guard against presumption, he went on to add the psalmist, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. In other words, he has the sovereign right to grant forgiveness or not. We can't presume that. Like we know in Acts 8, Simon the sorcerer, Peter says, Oh, you need to repent from this wickedness if perhaps the Lord will forgive you. We can't take it for granted. Go back to Jonah, chapter 3. And look what all it says about the word. The word of the Lord came to Jonah in verse 1, and God tells him to preach unto it, Nineveh, the preaching that I bid thee. And then it says that Jonah arose according to the word of the Lord. And I'm saying, the word of the Lord at this point, it's causing a lot to happen, isn't it? it's causing a lot to happen. It came to Jonah and it's moving him and it is going to move the people of Nineveh. And that's what happens when the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. So we read there the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What happens when the word of the Lord comes to any prophet? Second Peter tells us this it says for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the spirit. So he says the old testament prophets were carried along by the spirit and that is the same word carried along that's used in acts 27:15 when the ship paul was on was caught in a violent wind and luke writes in that account in acts 27 he said we couldn't fight that wind anymore he said so we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. He's saying that wind is determining the course of the ship. We can't control anything that's happening. This wind is too great. It's just carrying that ship along wherever it wills. And that's what Peter is saying happens to these prophets. They're carried along by the Holy Spirit with the message they were given. They're affected by the Holy Spirit to deliver that message they received. As one man said, prophets didn't control the message the message controlled them it came to them from god like a mighty wind and they were carried along and wrote exactly what god wanted them to say and so the word of the lord came to jonah and he is carried along by it it takes him this word that came to him it takes him to Nineveh he preaches what god told him to preach And when he did that, the word of the Lord, it produced results, didn't it? I mean, mighty results. It says the people of Nineveh believed Jonah and repented. So here's the thing I would say if, like Jonah, we want to see results, we have to share the word that God has given us. And it may not be easy, it may not be popular, and it may not be what the person you're talking to wants to hear. And so what was the word that Jonah had to preach? Look down there in Jonah chapter three verse four, and he began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, "Here's his message, "Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown." Now let me ask you a question. Would that have been easy to do? Would that been an easy message to deliver? Because Nineveh was a huge city for its day. Seven and a half miles in circumference. Now, they didn't have cities the size like we do today of New York City, Hong Kong, London, and all those. But for its day, Nineveh was a vast metropolis. It was really big. Back in chapter one, God told Jonah, I want you to cry against it. Why? He says, Because their wickedness has come up before me. I mean, that had to be, and it was. We know, I'm not going to get into all the details. Nineveh, the Ninevites were wicked people, terribly wicked people. As wicked as Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're going to get the same fate as Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 19, it says this when the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, it says he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities. Same word. He overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, completely destroyed it. And that's the word that Jonah has for the Ninevites. He's saying, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And they knew that meant destroyed. And that's his message, God is going to judge you for your sins. He's going in that place and telling them that, and I'm saying, that took guts. It really did. You know, when Lot, you remember this, when Lot spoke to the men of Sodom that had gathered outside the door, and they're demanding that he give them those angels so they can violate them. All he said to him was, he was nice to him, I think. He says, I pray you, brethren, don't do so wickedly. He says, I got a couple daughters here, take them. And I'm saying, did they repent? Did they take that word from Lot like a word from God? They were going to kill him. They were going to abuse him and then kill him. And here's what they said to him. This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. It said, so they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. And so here's what we know we know it from our own experience. Wicked people generally don't like to have their sins pointed out. (laughs) Don't we know that? And Jonah knew that. And so I'm saying, how would that man have had the courage to walk into this den of iniquity? I mean, this is as bad as it gets. A notorious, violent, and godless city and preach. A message that God is going to judge them for their sins. And here's how because that's what we got in chapters one and two. He had experienced God's sovereign greatness, His holiness, and His love. So, through what he'd gone through in chapters one and two, he feared the Lord. He was going to obey, he was going to do whatever God told him. He didn't want any more wild rides on these boats through storms, being thrown into the sea and sucked up by whales. He'd had enough of that so he's gonna obey the Lord no matter what he asked him to do right but here's the other thing I think he knew he also knew he could go in there and God could watch over him with what he had to do with this task because there is no man or men that are greater than the God that can control the wind and the waves and the sea and a great fish And so like Moses I don't believe Jonah feared the wrath of man you know it says of Moses that by faith Moses forsook Egypt he says not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured Moses did as seeing him who is invisible he would had an experience with God who is invisible Moses did and Jonah had the same experience couldn't see him but he'd experienced his power both ways hadn't he as a God of justice and a God of love he knew who he was Might be invisible, but Jonah's like, he's a greater power and more real than any man or nation that I could ever encounter. And so what I'm saying is that's what we need to remember. We have to remember our experience with the Lord and not be afraid of men. We have to speak what God gives us to speak. And I'm saying that's if we want to see people change. We've got to give them his message. And it's going to come, just like with Jonah, how did Nineveh change? He didn't go there speaking grace and love, did he? He went there with a message and a word of judgment and repentance, preaching the judgments to come. That's what we need to tell people when we talk to them, in the need of repentance. And I'm saying that is part of the gospel, and I would say a very crucial part of the gospel. Without it, someone's not going to be soundly saved. And that's why? Because the message of repentance and judgment to come is being taken out. Of the gospel today that's being preached. And that's why we have such worldly Christians in our country. That's what's going on. So on the day of Pentecost, biblically, you want some biblical examples of that. Peter pleaded with the people. Well, they said, what should we do? What should we do? He says, repent. First thing he tells them, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then later on in that same chapter, chapter 2, he says, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. In Acts 17, Paul is on Mars Hill in Athens. I've been there. I've stood there. I've listened to a man preach a sermon from there. Crowds would gather there. It was a popular meeting place. Athens is a huge city in Corinth. And he stood there and tells these people they were not a pleasant crowd. It wasn't like preaching here at church. This is a bunch of unregenerate people. And this is what Paul tells them the times of this ignorance. Their idolatrous worship they were engaged. He said, the time of his ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. Because he's appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained. He's given these people here a message of repentance because there's a day of judgment coming. That's the gospel message that Paul preached. And in Acts 24, he's brought to Caesarea. He's arrested. He's brought before Felix, the governor, and Felix wants to hear Paul, wants to hear what he has to say. In Acts 24, it says, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and they sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And so when Paul spoke to them about faith in Christ Jesus, what was his message? It says he was discussing righteousness, self control, and the judgment to come. That was his message. And what was Felix's reaction? It says he trembled or became frightened and said, go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. And my point is that he was faithful to what God had told him to preach. Paul was. No different than any of us here. We think, oh, that's just the Apostle Paul apostle paul was just a man he liked people to like him he didn't like getting beat and stoned and whipped and put in jail any more than any of us would he's a man right so it wouldn't have been easy for him to speak to this hostile crowd on mars hill because it said when he was done the majority of them mocked mocked what he said i will hear thee again and just a few clave to him and believed the majority of the people they didn't want anything to do with him and it wouldn't have been easy for him either to go before the governor and tell this man that is controlling what's going to happen to his life about self control and righteousness and the judgment that you're going to have to face to where this man knew he wasn't right. Paul knew what he was saying to this guy. That would not have been easy, no more than it's easy for us. This is an important man. And it wouldn't have been easy for Paul when he comes before King Agrippa, he's sharing his testimony. The Damascus Road experience. I'm traveling, getting ready to persecute these Christians, and this bright light appears, knocks me off the horse, and a voice comes out of this speaking, It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they tell him when he's all done, Paul, you're crazy. That sounds like a crazy story, doesn't it? You know, and and Paul's not stupid. He knows when I relate my testimony to you, you guys are going to think this is stupid. He knows that. But he's obedient. Because he knows without that, there will be no results. And he tells them, hey, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that appeared to me, I'm just telling you what happened, guys. He said, when he appeared to me in that light and gave me my commission, he said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And here's what Paul was told by Jesus that he wanted him to preach that he should preach that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. And I'm saying, if we really love people, And we know people are sinners and going to hell. If we don't preach that message, they'll never change. They won't change biblically. They won't ever know eternal life. Because God changes people through the call to repentance. John the Baptist, his message was, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, And he went on to say, and now also is the axe laid unto the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, which brings forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. That's the message people have to know. The axe is laid to the tree. No good fruit. The fire is your destiny. And that is how sinners are prepared to meet the Lord. That's what John's message was all about in Jesus's first words we read about these in mark the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand and what was it he said next repent ye, and believe the gospel so we have to speak what God gives us to speak the gospel of repentance in Jesus's last instructions to his disciples in Luke 24 were this thus it is written this is the Lord speaking and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day And he said, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That is the message that we Christians, all of us in here that are Christians are entrusted with by the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In other words, if there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness that is what the message is and we want people to be truly forgiven truly saved they've got to be told what true repentance is we can't assume that they know that you got to make it a point to tell them and it may not be easy and sometimes we feel inadequate but that's what jeremiah said he said he was inadequate he said then said I all lord god behold i can't speak for i'm a child but the lord said unto me say not i am a child for thou shalt go to all that i send thee and listen to what he told jeremiah it's the same thing he tells us whatsoever I command thee thou shalt speak be not afraid of their faces for I am with thee to deliver thee saith the Lord and I'm saying when we do that when we're talking to sinners when we're witnessing to someone that we want to see brought to the Lord we should be able to speak from our own experience and that's what Jonah did I think he said more Than just the eight words that we have recorded there in verse 4, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Because God says, I want you to preach everything I've given you to preach. I think that's just a thumbnail sketch of what he said. And I'll tell you why I think that, for two reasons. In chapter 3, verse 9, the king says this, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Well, where would the king have gotten that idea if all he ever heard was judgments coming in 40 days? So I think he heard a little more to come up with that idea. And the second reason that I believe that is, is given in the New Testament. Jesus said that Jonah himself, the man, not just his message, was assigned to Nineveh. In Luke 11:30, it says, for as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites said he was a sign. And then he goes on to say they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And I would say, how was Jonah a sign to them? They would have had to know that he was three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. His experience was a sign. It was his testimony, a testimony to God's certain judgment on sin. I was down in the belly of Sheol, I think he would have told them. But also of the riches of his grace to those who repent. I thought my judgment was certain Jonah would be telling the Ninevites. But yet, when I was almost dead, almost gone, my doom was almost certain, I repented and cried out to the Lord, and He had mercy on me. I think they would have heard that. I think that's part of what He would have told them. And so that's what we need to share with people we meet, how we experience the conviction of our sins. I mean, this is the way it should typically work. You experience the conviction of your sins, the certainty of the judgment that you deserved. And then you experience the gracious, loving Savior that He delivers you from that and gives you life that you know you didn't deserve, His marvelous grace. Look at this guy that comes to my house to install my new air conditioning unit. And he tells me that he had been up late the previous night and got stone drunk with his friend. He'd been up late drunk and here he is at my house to put my air conditioning unit in. Right? And I said, because then he tells me that, because I said, Would you like me to get you something to drink? And he's like, nah, man. I got this green tea here. And he goes on to tell me I got drunk last night and you know, and he's kinda like this. He says, I think I'll be all right. I'm thinking to myself. Okay, and it was a little hot in my house, but not not as hot as he he was sweating profusely and if you've ever been around somebody that drinks a lot, their sweat smells like stale beer. That's what I'm smelling. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, my first inclination is I kinda like to get another contractor, but I just thought this is a good opportunity and God'll make this work. And I went to my office and started praying. Probably went upstairs and told Lisa you need to be praying too. So a few minutes later he comes and tells me, well, you know, my life is getting better now. (laughs) It's getting better. He says, he told me he started going to church. And it was a church with grace in its name, a grace church, right? And things are going better. He says, now, you know, I just get drunk occasionally. You know, but my work's going better and all that other. Now I'm just getting drunk occasionally. And here's where you got to tell people what repentance means. It's not just going to church. It's not just getting drunk occasionally. And I said, Joe, I said, you can't get drunk occasionally and go to heaven. So I explained to him, I'm not going to get into everything. We talked for quite a while. I said, I explained to him that repentance means you are once and for all done with sin. Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I said, it's just not a matter of, hey, nobody's perfect. Everybody sins and just getting drunk every now and then, you know, it's okay. I said, look, and I explained to him, look, Joe, let me tell you, I had a past like yours. Tell him everything I did. I said, I'm not picking on you and saying for me this. But I said, I knew because the gospel was preached faithfully back at the time I got saved, that you knew you had to turn from your sins, turn from all your drunkenness, drugs, stealing, lying. That's all behind you if you want to be a Christian. He honestly didn't know that. He's listening. He's listening to what I'm saying. And I said, Joe, I knew I was on my way to hell unless I repented and turned from my sins and made Jesus not just my savior, I said, everybody wants a hell insurance policy. Jesus is their savior. I said, he's got to be your Lord. You no longer do what you want to do. You have to obey his word. On and on and on. I went. So let me ask you, did A.C. Joe, I call him A.C. Joe, air conditioning (laughs) Joe. Did A.C. Joe, did he get mad at me? Did he cuss me out and all that? No. God, just at that point, opened a man's heart. He's thanking me. Man, I'm just so thankful that you explained that to me. I didn't understand that. And I told him, I said, oh, when you get done, i got a book to give you, and give your partner one if he wants one. I didn't know if he'd remember or not. And he came back by and a little bit later and he wanted to talk to me about something else. Man, I'm just really glad i got to talk to you today or whatever. And when they leave, they're like, hey, where's that book you told me you were going to give him about salvation? And Joe said, hey, where's your church at? I'd like to come. So if Joe comes, y'all be real nice to him. I'm just saying that because that's what we need to do. We need to explain. People, you can't just let them think all because they go to church. Well, praise the Lord. I love Jesus. I mean, come on. They need to understand. Most people are just not taught now what repentance means. And we need to tell them that's the message God has given us. So Jonah has spoke from his experience. And I'm saying we should be able to speak from ours. And the thing is you don't have to be an ex-drug addict, an ex-drunk to explain how God brought you to repentance. But I will say, God does a work in us, just like He did Jonah. That made Him an effective preacher to Nineveh. So the work He's done in your life, you use that to witness to others, to relate to them, to explain what God has done. And look at the results that came in Nineveh. Look in verse 5. He preaches that message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and whatever else He said. But verse 5 says, So the people of Nineveh they believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even unto the least. And as it's been said, there is nothing in all of history that equals what happened here in Nineveh. Even in the Bible, a city that size, the entire city in sackcloth, in ashes, fasting, and all of them turning from their sins. Every one of them. Never been heard of before. Nothing's been equal to that. And so for Jonah, you think about it, for his preaching to have that kind of effect, it would have had to have been greatly empowered by the Holy Spirit. Greatly empowered. And so we do see that in some of the New Testament accounts. It's not just the words, it's that empowering of the Holy Spirit. You know, in Acts 2, we see freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches this message, the gospel message, and what do we have there? Maybe not the whole city of Jerusalem, but 3,000 people is a lot of people. And that's no man's wisdom is going to cause that to happen. 3,000 people say, in Acts 8, we read, Philip goes down to Samaria. We are told in Acts 6 that he is filled with the Spirit along with Stephen. And so here's this spirit empowered gospel message that he's preaching. And it says the whole city, whether it's every single person in the city, I don't know. But great joy was in that city, and multitudes in Samaria come to the Lord as a result of Philip's preaching. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, you know, it wasn't just my words that caused you all to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord. He says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. So what I'm saying is, we don't have to make our witness, we don't have to make our preaching. You know, everybody wants to make their preaching now interesting, funny, and seeker-friendly. And we don't need to have that. But we do need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And when that's the case, and the Word's being preached, God will bless that Word, just like He did here with Nineveh and Jonah. He brings life, and prayer, and repentance. That's what the Word will do. Repentance unto life. Because you think about it, people in Nineveh, they were happy in their sins before Jonah came. They didn't ask him to come. It wasn't a request to come over there and hold a revival. They were the most violent, evil people in history. But when that word came, in the power of the Holy Spirit, God brought true repentance. Those people, I mean, they were deeply affected by what Jonah said. And that is why. It says in Ephesians 5.8, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Because we never know when our opportunities are going to come up. So we have to be filled with the Spirit, and we also have to be filled with the Word. And when that happens, the Spirit-empowered Word can make a change. Now, we used to sing this song years ago. I don't think we've sung it in a long time. But Psalm 19, talking about the Word is what makes a change. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. That's what converts a soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And listen to this. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. What converts a soul? You wanna see somebody saved, whether it's a loved one, your child, your spouse, somebody you work with, anyone. What is it that converts the soul? It's the word of God, the law of the Lord. It's perfect converting the soul. And the commandments of the Lord, that is what enlightens someone's eyes. To see their own sin, to see the justice and rightness of God, to see the truth of his word, It witnesses with the person the commandments of the Lord lighten the eyes and the fear of the Lord is that something to be avoided it says it's clean the fear of the Lord is clean and that cleanness will endure forever it's something to pray for for God to give you that fear and so it says that the people of Nineveh it says they believed God and their faith like Noah's faith we talked about that not too long ago Their faith operated by fear. That's not necessarily bad. Because look what it says. The king, get back to verse 9 again. He says, who can tell if God will turn and repent? And what does he say? And turn away from his fierce anger and that we perish not. So they're afraid of God's fierce anger. (laughs) They probably knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. They knew what happened to Jonah. And they said, we don't want to perish we believe what you say and that reproduced results right? but they also had a hope they heard what happened to Jonah and his experience and they probably also had to think now wait a minute if God just simply wanted to destroy us why would he tell us forty days and you will be destroyed why didn't he just bring it on when the day came he didn't have to tell us that and so they probably have a faith that has fear and hope combined hope in god's mercy and a fear of what would happen if they didn't do anything and so we can see what true repentance looks like when we look at nineveh that's what we see here in verse five they proclaimed a fast they put on sackcloth it's just the outward symbol that they humbled themselves greatly before god and it says it wasn't just a few of them like i said it was all of them it says from the greatest even unto the least and the word of the lord came to the king himself And it says he set aside his robes, his royal robes. Now, that's a humbling thing for a king. And he put on what everybody else in that city had on, sackcloth. And he got up off his royal throne where he was sitting. And what did he go do? He went and sat in an ash heap. That's what repentance is. And even the animals participated in prayer and repentance. That's something else. That's almost funny if you picture it. Because look what it says in verse 8. It says, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. I mean, they're out there putting sackcloth on their sheep and their cattle, right? That's what he did. So you imagine the scene there. The people fasting, lying in sackcloth and ashes, crying out to God for mercy, and there's no food or water. Nobody's given any food or water while they're crying out to the Lord, not even the animals. The animals are out there covered in sackcloth, no food and water. And everybody's crying out to God because even the animals would have been crying out, probably the loudest. You give cattle, Paul could probably say this better than me no food and water, it's going to start making some noise. And you think there's just a lot of noise, and almost you look down on that. Here's everybody in sackcloth and ashes, not drinking, not eating, and noise, just everyone crying out to God, from the children to the animals to the king. Quite a scene and quite a sound. You know, and all that part of it could have been outward show, except the king issued a decree that every citizen of Nineveh had to turn from their evil ways and violence, and they did. Because God looked down on all of that. They turned from their evil ways and violence in sackcloth and ashes and fasting. And he turned from what he was going to do, didn't he? True repentance is not just in word. But it's also indeed, Proverbs 28:13 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesses, and it doesn't just stop there, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. So it's just not enough to get mercy to confess your sins, like I did as a good Catholic. You also have to forsake them if you want to have mercy. And that's what we see here in Jonah. Nineveh's repentance. But listen, it's not just Old Testament. It's just not that these people were just ignorant pagans and they didn't know any better. It's a picture of what true repentance is. And James, in his book in the New Testament, writes to Christians. He's writing to Christians, to a church. He calls them brethren. And he tells them to do what Nineveh did. James 4. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And so, what was the reason James was writing these words to those Christians in James 4? Well, if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, He talks about they were arguing, they were quarreling, they had divisions among them, they were living worldly lives. And he says, you're proud, you're not willing to admit your spiritual state. And he says, as a result of that, the devil is having his way in your lives. And so he pleads with them. And he says, he gives more grace, speaking of God. Therefore, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble, Submit yourself, therefore, to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here, you want to be free from this oppression of the devil? Things aren't right in your life, the way you're living. And he says, you've got to humble yourselves, be afflicted, mourn, weep, cleanse your hands from sin. Stop doing what you know is wrong is what he's saying. He's saying, do that humble yourselves in God's presence and he says like what we talked about Jonah at the beginning he says he will lift you up if you do that he will restore you like Jonah like Peter like King David like the most wicked king we ever read about in the Old Testament King Manasseh that's what he did no one has ever been as wicked as him that's in this room and God took him and took him out of the from the kingship and had him in fetters, and he cried out to the Lord, fasted, and humbled himself. And God looked down and restored that man. That's the way it works. So, the message of Jonah chapter 3 is one of repentance and God's mercy. And I think it still speaks to us today in a lot of ways. It does, because sometimes we're gonna be brought low because of our sin and disobedience. We're gonna hit rock bottom like Jonah did. And if we will just truly repent like Jonah did, God will not only forgive us, but he'll restore us like he did with Jonah. He'll give us a second chance. won't cast us off, won't replace us, but he'll trust us. Allow us another opportunity to speak his word, to love our neighbor, to trust him for our needs, whatever the situation we felt short in. But like Jonah, we also need to speak words to sinners that God has given us to speak, no matter how unpopular it makes us or how inadequate we feel. God will help us do that. That's what He said to Jeremiah. He'll do that for us. Jesus said after He gave the Great Commission, You don't have to worry. He says, Lo, I am with you always. I'll be with you. Wherever I send you, whatever words I give you to speak, give you that message, I'll be with you even unto the ends of the earth. And so we have to have the courage to tell sinners the truth. And I'm saying, like we said before, that courage comes from experience, the fear of the Lord, but also his loving forgiveness and salvation. And so when we speak the truth in love by the power of the Spirit, that is how sinners are changed. That's what happened in Nineveh. That's what happened at Pentecost in Samaria and in Athens. And that's what we see here. From the least to the greatest in Nineveh, the common man to the king, from the beast to the To the children, all are crying out for mercy. And they took the wrath of God and the judgment to come seriously. They did. They took it seriously and did something about it. And I'm saying, do we take it seriously? Because this is something that we should all think about. Doesn't matter how well we think we're doing spiritually. That there is a judgment day coming that we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give account of our lives and that is a solemn day. I said one time, there's a lot of things you can do twice. There's a lot of things God'll give us a second chance on, but when it comes to dying, we get one shot at that and it's over. That's a very solemn day. No more chances to make things right. That's it. And Paul said this, "We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that that he has done whether it be good or bad and he says knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men that was Paul's commission that was Jonah's commission and that is our commission to ourselves to our families and to other people out in the world the unsaved right so Nineveh knew they had 40 days but they did not wait until day 39 to get things right did they They believed God's word and repented right then. And so, we don't know how many days we have left on this earth. It may be 40, it may be 4, it may be 1, it may be today is our day. Because like Brother Hamilton had written down on his notes when he passed away, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Something to think about. So let's take a lesson from Jonah, a lesson from Nineveh. They took that day of judgment seriously and humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that we'll be ready no matter when that day is. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask, Lord, that you'll open all of our eyes and all of our hearts to see the importance of repentance, true repentance, that that is what brings life, not only into our own lives and into our families, But that is what will bring life as we preach that to sinners that we encounter. If we truly want to see them saved, I just ask you will open our eyes to see that and impress the importance on all of our hearts. And also, Father, we just thank you for the mercy that you've shown us, that you've shown Jonah, that you restored him. And the many times you've forgiven us and restored us and given us a second, third, fourth, and on and on chances in our lives. We are so gracious and we not only fear you, Lord, but we love you for your forgiveness and your mercy and compassion that you've showed us. And so, just ask that you'll make all of that real to us, Lord, and what true repentance is, and I thank you that you'll do that for everyone that's hearing my voice today, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. He
1: who began a good work in you He who began a good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. The struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair. And the process is long and you're losing your song in the night. You can be sure that the Lord has His hand on you, safe and secure he will never abandon you you are his treasure and he finds his pleasure in you yes he who began a good work in you yes he who began a good work in you He'll be faithful to complete it, he'll be faithful to complete it, he who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you.